Absolutely we are, among other <laughs> things. But uh Yeah, well, you know, so have you seen uh the tweets and the pictures of that supposed BBC article from the eleventh that people have been passing think, around? Yes. Yeah, you know, that immediately uh smelled like bullshit to me, but I it did. I really it did. You, you know, I I just keep thinking about it because it seems to me like something like that would be so easy to Photoshop. Exactly. But then what else started kind of tickling my mind a little bit is, you know, we are right in the middle of this. We know that that disease has already been rampant in several jail systems. So it's not yeah. like it's not a valid risk, though. And being at her, I mean, being at her, you know, she's not elderly, but she is at an advanced age. So it's probably not insane to think that she's in at least one risk category for it. So, you know, yeah, I, I just. Think, uh, um, there is a, an Occam's razor kind of explanation for this, uh, which is that it isn't bullshit. Uh, and that the BBC did have this article uh, ready because um, this kind of thing happens with obituaries sometimes. Like some news outlet releases uh, a person's obituary before they've even died. Because, yeah, I mean, because if you're sufficiently BBC, famous, they just kind of have it on the shelf already waiting for when you exactly. do. Yeah, and I mean, at the BBC, they're not, well, I mean, they are stupid, but they're not that stupid. So they recognize that there's a pretty good chance that Ghislaine Maxwell is going to die of corona in prison, um, amongst other things. So maybe they did actually release the article um, because they did already have one penned just in case. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure what was going on with that, whether it was a shop job or if someone just leaked something early. But, you know, that did get my attention. It did get me thinking a little bit. Yeah, that is, um, I'm curious to see what will happen there. Um, yeah, and I, I know it's not what you brought me on to talk about, but I do have something <laughs> else to note about uh, her situation just real quick, if you'll yes. permit me just yes, another please. moment. So people have been making a big deal out of the fact that um, her accuser, one of the people suing her in civil court, Virginia mm -hmm. Guffrey, her lawyers were oh, right. forced to destroy some documentation by Alan Dershowitz. I just want to clear this mm -hmm. up because I was reading about that, and I read the actual court filings relevant to that. Now, Virginia ah. Guffrey is being sued in civil court by Alan Dershowitz, and she herself is suing Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, as a result of the Dershowitz lawsuit, Guffrey has two sets of lawyers. And right. one set of her lawyers is being forced to destroy one set of documentation 
that they have as a result of the other court case. So no information right. is actually being suppressed. Nothing is uh, actually being covered up there. It's just that they got some evidence improperly from her other set of lawyers, and the court acknowledged that to Dershowitz's benefit. So, Okay. That does clear it up. So there's not nothing... No evidence uh, is actually being... Dis- right. Nothing was actually being destroyed or suppressed. It's just... She has two sets of lawyers. One set got something improperly outside of the discovery process and got tossed out of the second case as a result. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, so the other thing, uh, before we get into real topic uh, that we discussed, is um, you had some thoughts about uh, Grigory Rasputin that you wanted to share uh, with the world. Yeah, so I just think that he is probably one of the better known and still underrated occult figures of the 20th century. And Hmm. we need to take a little bit of time to just truly, I think the appropriate word is ogle at the man's legend, right? This dude was a uh, faith healer. He was an Adamite preacher with no actual theological background. And, you know, according to legend, and this part of it's a little bit harder to verify, but they had to try and kill the dude like 10 different times before he actually died. Yeah, I've heard that too. So, you know, it's not so much that I've got some grand conversation to have about him. I just think (laughs) that people need to do a little bit of reading about the guy and really appreciate just what was going on there because there was something strange about him. You know, then the fact that he was also allegedly donkey-dicked and screwing half the royal family. Man, uh, did you watch the... um, It had been on Netflix for a while, but they've had this documentary series about the Russian Revolution, well, mostly the Russian... um, uh, What is it? King, Emperor? um, And his actions and his fate during the Revolution. Um... And it shows that uh, this Rasputin guy was incredibly influential. Like that guy, likely partly because he was screwing at least 75% of the royal court, but he had a lot of pull uh, with the royals. Yeah, what was the name of it? Because I don't think I've seen anything like that, but I'd be very interested in watching it. I I don't have it handy right here, but I'll uh, look it up and DM it to you. after we're done here. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But yeah, so, you know, whether or not he had something literally magical going on, or whether his personal charisma, he was just one of those cult leader types where his force of personality is that great, he was truly remarkable in some really dark and scary ways. And people should really be willing to look at and examine his role in the end of the Russian royal court, because I think he acted as a very, very large accelerant on the final collapse of Russian imperial life. Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty good characterization. Uh, sounds accurate to me. You know, Lenin um, didn't do what he did because of Rasputin, but having Rasputin there certainly didn't help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that made the... 
I think without Rasputin, this whole thing would have looked very, very differently. Um, but uh, by the time this goes live, I think my viewers will have, a, or my listeners, will have a pretty damn good understanding of uh, Rasputin's role in um, in the whole revolution. Considering that I uh, recently recorded two episodes on the Russian Revolution uh, with Bird, which are going live today, uh, which is the 9th day that we're recording, uh, and uh, next week, and after this will be our episode uh, that we're recording today. Um, so, what I really have you on about is to talk about QAnon, um, because there's a bunch of shit going on there. That is both hilarious and fascinating. Um, so, uh, my impression, and I, I scrolled through the wiki article for like five minutes before we started, uh, and I've seen enough cute hearts on Twitter, and that's about the extent of my research, um, is that essentially uh, Trump fans slash boomers uh, believe that Q is some sort of inside guy inside of the deep state government uh, who's working to uh, guys expose or, or drain the swamp um, and like Q doesn't really directly communicate with people but he's like with Trump and Trump like communicates with his true believers secretly through yes. internet message yes. boards, yeah. Yes. You know, that and just sure seems like that. something happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's a lot of numerology bullshit going on as well. Um, like, anytime you see a Q-tart on Twitter, he's probably pointing towards the timestamp and particular letters in some sort of Trump tweet. And it's like, oh, this is 4, and this is 88, and here's like 16. So this means, like, mm -hmm. Q. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess my first question to you is: uh, Is there like an actual guy behind Q, as far as we know, that's just bullshitting people, or is this just purely people? Uh, I don't know, engaging in some sort of mass delusion. So, what it really boils down to is it ultimately is just another natural emergent ecosystem of a political class of grifters and the people who get excessively carried away in their schemes. Right. And uh, I think the most useful place to start then would obviously to go back to where it all started. Right. And, um, so. and it was October or November of 2017, roughly one year after Trump had been in office. Posts started appearing on 4chan about a guy who claimed to be an insider and claimed to have an extremely high clearance code in the U.S. government, saying that big things were coming, big things were about to go on, you needed to get ready, all of Trump's dreams were about to come true, we were about to drain the swamp, we were about to take down the pedophile rings in the U.S. government, all the Democratic leadership was about to get arrested, Obama was about to go away. And all of this stuff. And this guy was posting under the name. It was like. Q Clearance Patriot. 
And now right. what what gave people hope initially was the fact that queue clearance is an actual designation that exists within the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's a Department of Energy thing, right? Yes, it's a security clearance in the Department of Energy, which you know, first of all, is just a really weird place for it to be, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you'd expect intelligence or the military or something, but no, he's using a Department of Energy clearance code. Anyways, and now the yeah. post. So, wait. Um, how much? Uh, I mean, uh, how do I say? How much? Um. Uh, state secrets and and like crazy shit can you have access to if you are on the highest clearance of the Department of Energy? Because this seems like a fairly uh, mundane uh, department, almost. So, this part of it involves a little bit of speculation on my part. And it involves um, a little more breadth of knowledge about the American conspiracy landscape. But I'd imagine that you're familiar with the historical figure Nikola Tesla, right? Ah, yes. Now, for some factions of the Q movement, they place a greater emphasis on Tesla and his alleged or his supposedly suppressed technologies than other factions do. And uh, now, I okay. think that that group of Q believers developed mainly as a response of believing that Q truly was with the Department of Energy. And they think that if Q sees his goals come to fruition, we'll get Tesla's anti-gravity technology and we'll get his zero-point energy. Yeah, I know. And they believe, you know, there were some conspiracy theories about Tesla. You know, he dreamed of flying to Mars a couple of different times. And he Mm -hmm. recorded it in his journals. And I think some of them, because even people on the broader conspiracy landscape think that he did actually fly to Mars at one point. So, you know, that's, (laughs) that's all a little off the rails. But if you accept, you know, their base premises in the first place, if you think that Tesla did have things to hide and that the government suppressed them after his death, then it would be a natural conclusion that the Department of Energy would probably have things to hide. Yeah, that makes sense. But now, these posts from the Q Clearance Patriot really only persisted for just a few weeks, a couple of months at the longest. And after that, then the posts began being signed Q. And now, if you know anything about the boards, the users are anonymous, but you do have your account. You have the, um, I think they're called the trip code signatures that your posts are signed by, you know, your anonymous code. Yeah. And so they, the posts kept coming from the same account, but he was no longer calling himself Q Clearance Patriot. He was just Q. And sometimes Q Plus and a couple of other, yeah. you know, related handles. But right. as it so happens, you know, the lore keeps building and building. And where it really started to pick up steam was when a faith healer YouTuber and Red Team Boomer by the name of Praying Medic started getting on board and started following it and started showing it to his YouTube channel, along with a small handful of other 
pardon me, red team YouTubers here in the U.S. And that's when you really saw the popularity explode. Fucking faith dealers, man. Yeah. From Rasputin to QAnon, they're always they're always up to something. Perpetually, you know, it's it really is the oldest form of snake oil salesman nonsense. Mm-hmm. It really is. So that brings us to early 2018. And right. this is around the time you see the posting start shifting to Pizzagate, among other things. Ah, right. And you'll start uh, seeing the popularity in that. And so, you know, the Q posts, the funny things about them is that they are always about things that are in the news. But to their credit, they're always about things that aren't quite the headline yet but that become the news headlines here in the U.S. within a day or two. Uh, okay. So this sounds like someone who's just, or a group of people who are just... Um, who are either paying really close of, attention or might yeah. conceivably be on the lower levels of the inside. Now, I'm inclined to think... Just, um, I'm inclined yeah, no, to... Go ahead. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that... Uh, If you're reading the news closely enough, it's easy enough to know what the stories are going to be. You know, if you read something like Drudge Report religiously or Politico religiously, you can kind of feel out where the winds are blowing. And then if you write your your posts with enough vagueness to them, it's easy to let people read in whatever details they want. You know, as long as you don't provide the details, you're never wrong, right? Yes, exactly. I'm. Uh, I was thinking. I mean, even in our uh, in group, uh, it happens often enough that people are, even with details, uh, several days ahead of the headlines, um, which of course isn't always about top secret stuff. But still, I mean, if you're uh, chronically online enough, mm-hmm. um, it shouldn't really be. That's crazy uh, that you're essentially ahead of the news. Um, even more considering that uh, the big news agencies kind of suffer from the same problem as the government, as in they're just very large bureaucratic centralized agencies. So they're just not going to be very quick in responding to any news. Um, so, I mean, I could see how even if you don't have any particular clearance, not even a low one, that this could be quite easy. Yes, yeah, and it should also be noted, you know, the true, uh, or I should say the core demographic of Q believers, um, what makes them interesting and what I think makes this them so vulnerable to a movement like Q is that they are a sort of older demographic by and large you know obviously there are young q fans too but they are generally less online and they already have a background typically with conspiracy theory that makes them inclined to believe that there could potentially be a faction working with or for them within the deep state Mm -hmm. You know, that as a concept isn't new to American conspiracy culture. It used to be far bigger than it is today. 
But uh, yeah, for decades, though, there have been groups or movements or alleged whistleblowers saying, yes, we're working on the inside to get the truth out about Kennedy, or we've got someone on the inside just waiting to leak the truth about UFOs when the time is right. And so because these things have always existed, it just took the right combination of accelerants and the right combination of vague promises to finally make it take off. And then when you add just effective enough YouTube grifters to the mix, people who learned how to manipulate the YouTube search algorithms to get their videos to the top, these people who aren't necessarily savvy enough to navigate and fact check and do deep information dives on the internet, but are savvy enough to run a Facebook page as an admin or to build up a decent Twitter following take off and run with this stuff without vetting the claims yeah. of the information at all. And then, you know, as Q keeps claiming more victories, it just makes itself self-perpetuating and that much easier at each turn. So now without tracing the history of the Q posts necessarily, as time continues to advance, Q's account on 4chan actually would several times in the early days get so swamped with bot replies that the threads would get uh, auto-locked by board moderators. So he eventually had to move to 8chan and set up his own board where he had a little bit tighter control over it. And now even on 8chan, he suffered several personal security breaches. And now this is where it gets interesting, right? Because this involved changing his trip code and his account information several times. And now you think, okay, that's reasonable. Whoever this quote-unquote Q is is just protecting his OPSEC. The problem is, and the problem where the grift should have been revealed for a lot of people, and apparently just wasn't, is when that YouTuber I mentioned, Praying Medic, released a bunch of Q posts from his account. And now he caught them in time. Hey. Yeah, right? Hold on. So this motherfucker was basically um uh how to say accidentally essentially uh releasing Q posts from his own account showing that he was actually impersonating uh whoever the fuck Q is supposed to be. Correct. He either was Q the entire time, or he has been impersonating Q and releasing Q posts of his own on an alternate account for some time, you know? And either way, that says bad things for their movement. Yes. But, you know, that was that was hushed up, that was ignored, that was treated as, oh, this was just an information breach, the deep state's fighting us using their X, Y, and Z black hat hackers. <laughs> And it's continued on like that, really, from then. And we have, because of the nature of the Anon boards being what they are, there's really no way to know who's who or who's on what account once the initial Q account stopped being used. You know, there's no way to link those trip codes to anyone's actual identity. And that is the value of using those websites. You know, we can't underestimate that. That is a great tool for posters in general. But it makes something like this murkier. 
And so, so it's really just on. been a runaway train since then. This dude has millions of views on quite a few of his videos. I'm actually surprised YouTube hasn't taken his account down, but Yeah, that's interesting. Well, must be Q uh, you know, doing his work. <laughs> right. Protecting him from the inside of the tech giants. <laughs> yes. Um so one thing uh and maybe you'll get to it, but uh by my understanding, uh you're saying that uh Q or the, the Q followers are largely uh, a bit older. I mean, there's a reason that everyone calls them conspiracy boomers, right? Uh, Correct. But as far as I know, uh, platforms like 4chan and 8chan aren't exactly very populated by uh, boomers of any kind. Yes, so that's where this takes on a little bit of a pseudo-religious flavor. You see, what'll typically happen is these individuals like Praying Medic or gosh, honestly, I don't even know who the other big Q prophets are anymore because there's a new yeah. one every month, you know, just a new yeah. someone who claims to have finally broken the posting code or figured out the cryptography on the posts. But, you know, whenever a new one pops up, what they'll typically do is instead of posting it on the boards and picking up their followers there, they'll post super lengthy explanations on YouTube or on Twitter or on Facebook ah, right. where the information is just available enough for people who know how to click on the right hashtag or visit the right page or enter the one key phrase in the YouTube search bar. And, you know, that's where it happens. And as a natural result, too, there's a degradation of information over time, right? When you're not quite rocking yeah. it, but you know it just well enough to keep repeating it, almost like a mantra. And that's where you also see things like uh, where we one, where we go one, we go all. That's a very popular hashtag with yeah. them. Or also, the storm is coming, or I yeah. am the storm. And, you know, all these... Q phrases, because that's, yeah, again, exactly. part of the cultic identity they've built. You know, those are the ways they signify and signal to each other. And that's all easy enough for even a uh, sort of late Gen X, early boomer crowd to grok. You know, if you can get on Facebook and you can post that, then Q becomes accessible to you, even if you have no exactly. idea how to navigate the Anon boards. That's um that's so essentially it's built over from uh basically this one or a few YouTubers um incorporating the whole Q thing into their grift uh onto Facebook and Twitter, which is where the boomers picked it up. Yes. Yeah, and you know, once you get on a runaway money train like that, you know, YouTubers are paid for their engagement. So if you can get people to keep clicking to your YouTube videos where you spend 10, 20 minutes a day just talking about a Q post, and if you can make up some kind of nonsense, if you read the news yourself and you can draw just a couple of connecting lines for yourself, you've got a recipe for great success. And, you know, that's ultimately what it's come down to. Now, the evolution of the movement has seen some really profound and interesting turns, and there's a lot of sub-factions 
you know, and the Q people fight amongst themselves quite a bit. I'm sure you've noticed yeah. that Flat Earth is popular among a lot of Q believers. I did not, but it's not that surprising. Yeah, so you've got the groups of them that are certain the Earth is flat, and they think that Trump is going to reveal the Earth is flat from an Antarctic um, event or location, or the original groups that think he's going to take down Hillary and Podesta and the government pedophile things. And, you know, they've really latched on, especially to Pizzagate, where they started. And they've got continued hope through the Epstein stuff. Now, I think that's pretty ridiculous, because we've already established that the U.S. government is almost entirely under the regulatory capture of pedophiles. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, That's one thing that that stands out to me is um, how much of a hate boner uh, the Q-tards have for uh, for Hillary. Uh, and it's yeah. almost entirely centered, as you said, around Pizzagate stuff. Which, I mean, I, I can't blame them. I mean, I have a similar hate boner for Hillary uh, related to, well, not so much the Pizzagate stuff, but certainly uh, pedophilia. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing with her is you can basically pick anything. You know, the Clintons really are some of the most corrupt and evil people in American history. They are truly terrible individuals, but... They are some of the worst people the world has ever seen, probably. Um, that's uh, There's a, a, um, a talk there that we are going to have at some point in the future. Um about uh, Satanism, so there's a, uh, a difference essentially between um, Satanists, like, well, just uh, to, to take it a bit short, to say Satanists like the Clintons um, and Satanists like the Church on Sat- of Satan, which is verified on Twitter. Which yes, is, and who uh, spends all its time posting edgy atheist memes. Exactly, yes. Um, but considering that that's a, an entire podcast episode, at least I I, I hope so, um, we will getting be getting at some point in the future. Um, yeah, we can circle back around to that one. Yes. Um, let's see where was it going? Uh, Q. Ah, so I have another question for you. Um. So, uh, let's see. How do I phrase this? Um. Separate from uh, Q specifically, how um, how likely do you estimate it that someone with high clearance in the government uh, goes on 4chan or 8chan or one of the Anon boards um, and starts essentially spilling the beans? So... There's a reason it's a recurring trope in American conspiracy theory to have one or two brave insiders, a couple of white knights on the inside, because that part of it is strictly plausible. You know, it's not impossible that someone could somehow maintain through sheer force of will and strength of character a goodly disposition and want to change things from the inside. It's unlikely, but it is possible. Now, when you add the multiplier of that, though, 
that they are this sort of good-natured warrior and really working for the public good from the inside, you have to wonder, why would they go to an Anon board when they could yeah. find a cooperative journalist? Or they could just hold all their files and eventually bring it all together once they had all the proof to do what they need to do themselves. And I think right. that right there just needs to be the silver bullet to the heart of the Q werewolf. You know, there's no reason to believe that they would have ever gone to an Anon board in the first place. It's just ridiculous on the face of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying basically take the, uh, the Edward Snowden route. Right, right. And, you know, I think that's the natural route for a whistleblower to go, because that's the way they should go, you know. By the time you've already seeded, by being that sort of whistleblower, that you're going to use the levers of power against the levers of power, then you need to be playing at a legitimacy level, or on a status game level, that these people would actually be able to be harmed on. And I can tell yeah. you, as a matter of fact as anyone could, that not a single bad guy or good guy in any <laughs> government around the world gives a single shit what's being said on the Anon boards. I'm pretty sure about that, yeah. <laughs> you know, they might give just a little bit of time to social media because that's where their journalist uh, shock troopers do all of their work mm. these days. Exactly. But, you know, they're not giving a single second thought to 4chan or 8chan or Slash X, or Slash B, or any of these places. They don't care. No, of course not. Because, I mean, it's a numbers game. Mostly. I mean, they, the, the amount of, the or the percentage of the electorate that's uh, very active on social media, let's say the way we are, uh, is already very low. Um, and then you take a bunch of people that are entirely anonymous um, on some fucking board that, uh, I mean, it's not not um, a slick social media site. The boards are fucking fugly to look at. Yeah, um, it's hard to navigate and it's hard to know who or what you're talking to or about. You know, it's exactly. there's, there's no UI integration experience for anybody. Absolutely none. So, uh, I mean, the percentage of uh, people that are highly active on social media um, as compared to the regular population is already very low. And then you take an, uh, a very low percentage of that population that is uh, very active on the Anon boards. So you're talking about, I don't know, 0.01% percent of the population or something and that's probably uh a pretty damn high estimate yeah um, even that's probably pretty generous but you're you've got the point exactly you know it's just the worst possible vector for any sort of whistleblower to take you know even if the whistleblower were real that would be the worst possible place to release it because the impact radius would be so low yes exactly yeah I mean, what the fuck are you gonna achieve? Like, you've leaked all of the most important state secrets to a bunch of nerds in their basement, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fucking congratulations, you know? 
You have achieved nothing. <laughs> yeah, good job. A real Panama Papers part two there. Except it's green text, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, let me see. Do I have any other very good questions for you? Uh, ah, yes. Um, <coughs> so, I mean, this is probably part of the more general uh, conspiracy idea. But what is up with the with the numerology? Like these Q people are, like, uh, how do I say? It? They are fucking high on numerology. Like any random combination of numbers and letters means that Q is doing something to them. Uh, does this come from this YouTuber guy, or did this just kind of evolve naturally? I tend to think that the nature of QAnon being what it is was going to lead to this one way or the other. You know, part of the reason I think Q has some staying power is there is a component to it that demands personal interaction from the people who choose to take it seriously. You know, that's kind of the buy-in mechanism, right? You're trying to, you see the post you either see it on the board yourself or you see your chosen Q content creator talking about it. And then you have to sit down and figure out what the message actually means. And now numerology right. is always a process that's been popular. You know, every major religion that I can think of has some sort of numerology based sub movement, no matter how small in it. But, you know, all established religions do. The Jewish faith has one. The Christian faith has one. I would assume that the Islamic faith has one. Likely, yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very natural thing for humans to want to sniff out and find these emergent patterns. And the fact that these Q posts are allegedly written in code means it's that much easier. You know, there's a reward for you to go and find. You can help get the message out. You can help your mysterious insider. You just need to crack the code. So I think that numerology really is just the natural evolution of what was going to happen to them anyways. And I think that being that there is a faith healer, among others, you know, praying medic's not the only mm-hmm. one, but he's the big one. Among right. Among this sort of Q creator movement, it's pretty natural that that sort of thing would also lend itself to the sort of mystical or that mysticism type of buy-in required to also then be doing numerology. And, you know, especially in recent months and in the past year or so, that aspect of it has really gone off the rails. You know, we've seen so many Q predictions and plots go off the rails at this point and just fall flat on their face and just not happen that you either at this point have to assume we've been reading the code this wrong this code wrong the whole time and we need to look even closer at the numbers or you stop believing right. so it's this sort of um constant pressure to buy in and dig in further And so I think at that point, then it really is just the true believers keep digging further down into the numbers and have talked themselves into a sort of almost like Sufi-like religious state where they're so desperate to find the truth and find the emergent code 
that they have no choice but to start dabbling in numerology and things that are more exotic than traditional cryptography. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see. Um, this is all uh, pretty clear to me. Um, let's see. Uh, another thing... Uh, this is not so much related to the actual content of Q, but um, a while ago, I think a few months ago, uh, I remember seeing something on Twitter uh, about everyone's favorite uh, conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, just going off on this Q bullshit and being like, I'm going to expose everyone or all of the the people behind it. Um did anything happen with that? Did he actually do anything? And um, how much crossover do you think there is uh, between Alex Jones's um, uh, uh, audience and uh, the Q people? To the best of my knowledge, Alex never followed up on it. You know, he is one of my very favorite content creators, but he's also a guy that's a lot of talk, you know? Oh, yeah. So I would say, to the best of my knowledge, nothing ever came of it. But I would say that the audience crossover is, if you're new to Q, there's a very good chance that you then seek out InfoWars or seek yeah. out things like the higher side chat and more accessible gateways to conspiracy until such yes. a time that you've been so enraptured by Q that you're forced to eschew other sources and follow the Q creators exclusively. So mm -hmm. to, the best, to the best of my knowledge, he was never able to uh, do any kind of hit on Q or do any kind of doxing on any of these guys. And I don't think you know, he ever even really spent the time to actually try. But yeah, right. I'd say there's a fair amount of audience crossover, at least when people first start getting into it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you know, that's that's part of that. Well, formerly, because even now, Alex Jones, he still does a lot of conspiracy stuff. You know, that's still his main oh, yeah. shtick. But it is also worth noting, too, that in recent years, especially since 2016, since the Trump election, like many people, he's started to sort of work his way into more traditional mainstreamish red team politics. You know, he's yeah, not going hard on 9-11 like he used to, or not going hard on vampires and aliens like he used to. <laughs> They've become more rhetorical tools for him than an actual conspiracy brand. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Fuck, I had a question, but I lost it. Um, I Give me a second to think here. Um, Absolutely. Take all the time you need, <laughs> brother. Um, fucking hell. Um...
So, ah, right, that's the thing. Um, that was what I was thinking about. Uh, so, uh, this whole queue thing started off with, um, well, first one account and then some other accounts, or at least um, hash codes, uh, claiming to be Q. Yes. But from what I see, it has shifted to um, Q essentially communicating mostly via Trump. Um, so is there still, um, let's say, on the board or something, one or several accounts claiming to be Q? Or is there uh, essentially nothing anymore? Is it, is it just purely... Uh, is the, the cult or the, the belief just purely upheld by the people in it? Yeah, so there are still actual Q posts being made to the boards. There is Q proper... Some of the posts are now signed Q+, or the Q team, implying, at least to believers, that it was never just one individual Q, that there was a whole team of them, allegedly with access to Trump, people on the White House staff or on the White House team, which I think is even more outlandish, because if you work at the White House, you do not have time to be screwing around on Anon boards. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there are still regular Q posts being made. They're made under the monikers Q, which is Q proper, Q plus, which is the Q team. And then I think a couple of them even now allegedly have their own letter designations, but they still continue <laughs> to get lumped under <laughs> Q, which I think, you know, if you're willing to spend even just a couple of minutes critically thinking should be the sign that hey, this is not what's actually going on. This is proof that people are grifting on us. This could be anything. But, you know, that's that's what makes this a pseudo-faith or a cult-like group of their own. You know, there's that initial buy-in that people aren't willing to question. You know, it's one of their tenets. It's a maxim. You know, they're not willing to apply rules of critical thinking to it because they're too busy trying to break the Q code. But you are right. In your question, you bring up the idea of communicating mostly through Trump. And that's been a big baseline since the very first Q posts. The person who invented Q, whatever Anon that was. Because the very first Q poster was not that praying medic individual. It definitely was someone claiming to be on the inside. And I'm assuming it was probably just some shit poster that gave it up when he saw he created a grift monster and the content creators ran away with it. But, you know, as time has gone on, the Q posts have become even more vague, even more requiring a faith-like buy-in, and they revolve mostly around, you're right, filling in the holes in Trump's nonsense tweets. (laughs) But that's part of what makes them feel like insiders, though, and that's part of what helps build buy-in. Because if you're operating under the assumption that there's a code in the Trump tweets, it's that much easier to make sense of them than the more likely assumption that Trump just has dementia and doesn't know how to use a phone's keyboard. (laughs) Uh, um, To to what extent would you say that the 
whole Q thing is actually a cult. Uh, and to what extent is it just uh, essentially people buying into a grift? Yeah, I don't think it's a literal actual cult. You know, there's no true religious component to it. I use that sort of terminology and I use that sort of framework because I think it's the best way to understand it. You know, yeah. with a with a sort of grift-based movement, it's a lot easier to lose followers once you've built a little bit of money out of them. But this is an actual emergent movement, though. You know, it's based on perpetuating the engagement and the buy-in, not just fleecing money out of them. So I think... I'm not really sure what the best actual word for it would be, but I only use the cult's terminology because I think that's the most effective to get the point across, not because that's what it actually is. Yeah, yeah, I've been calling it a cult several times as well, but from what you're saying, it seems too uh, too disorganized, essentially, um, and with too many variants, I guess, to really be, uh, or at least to be a singular cult. Um, Absolutely. There's a lot of different power bases and sort of magnetic pulls within the movement, too. Exactly. And, you know, the problem is they can't afford to have internecine power fights over who is the true Q prophet. Because by doing that, they'd be forced to give up the game that so much of it's manufactured in the first place. So that's a sort of social pressure on the Q content creators to sort of tolerate each other and even, you know, not directly work with each other necessarily, but to at least uh, cooperate like a prisoner's dilemma. You know, they can't afford to give mm -hmm. each other up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is there um, like major backlash when you um leave q movement do you have any idea about that i wouldn't necessarily know because i'm not on the inside obviously <laughs> but i can say just from observing social media and tracking the trends and keeping an eye on it like i do that there doesn't seem to be any sort of scientology level retaliation against people who finally just get tired of it and drop out you know, I think it's much more the type of deal where you just can't keep up anymore. You get disillusioned with it, so you give up on it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that there's not too many um, consequences to uh, leaving the whole Q movement. I mean, there's of course people that are bought so deeply into it that they clash over it with. Um, we have family members, yeah, or close friends, um, but I think this is the case for many a uh, fringe political belief. I mean, absolutely, it be the first time that I heard people uh, losing friends or losing contact with family members over being anarchists or something. So, um, yeah, you're right I about mean, that. There's there's no actual enforcement wing. It's just yes relying on creating social costs for people. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of emotional level buy-in and that sort of base cost to participate, to signal membership. 
and in that it's just like any other social status game um yeah uh let me think i have another one um Well, uh, um, <coughs> so uh, I'm sorry for making you wait here, but I have to collect my thoughts a bit. Um, sure. No, I'm fine. Take all the time you need. Let's see. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty clear to me that uh, the whole QAnon movement isn't really a cult. Uh, I mean, they are weirdos, certainly. Probably a bit naive. Um, and, I mean, people perpetuating it, or well, not so much perpetuating it, but the people behind it, I guess, are just cynical grifters. Um but it's interesting to me that not really a cult because when we started this I thought there was some very strong cult-like elements to it but I mean I think we've uh, we've we've covered this topic enough to make or to clarify that that's not really the case Um, yeah you know there's no induction ceremonies there's no elaborate membership signias there's no required tattoos or anything it's uh really just a it's a social movement primarily that has high ideological buy-in and in that case really i think a great parallel would be the people who have committed their entire social media brand to being blue team russia interference truthers Ah, yes. And yeah, while that's the, not our... Oh, no, go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah, while the QAnon stuff has deeper roots in conspiracy theory, and while conspiracy theory in the U.S. does really properly belong to the American right wing, you know, it's not that there aren't left-wing conspiracies, and the Russiagate stuff is all significantly newer in that it seems to me to be a blue team, democratic, sort of reactionary um, imitation of a lot of Americans, America's right-wing conspiracy culture. And that's still new and emergent. But really, Q, the movement itself, being as new as it is, I think that it's not a coincidence that they came about in the same way at roughly the same time and are really mirror images of each other, but Mm. that the left wing, the blue team Russia Gators don't have the same rich tapestry of background with conspiracy theory to keep drawing new elements out of. That makes a lot of sense. Um, That actually leads me to a question. Um, How happy do you think the, um, establishment is with how many people are buying into the whole Russiagate bullshit. Um, because, 
I mean, how fantastic is it that people can just uh, focus on essentially Russia being the enemy um, and as such not really having to worry about their own government anymore? Oh, yeah. I mean, for people who have a vested interest in controlling the narrative here in the U.S., especially on the American left, it's a gift from God that people bought into what is such an obviously absurd claim. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that it's perpetuated by the journalistic machine, even to this day, and in so many mainstream outlets, is absolutely proof that it's a psyop of the highest levels. You know, they were so shell-shocked by what should have been an obvious electoral result. And let me be clear, I don't have any love for Trump. I have no emotional investment in him, and I think he's an absolute shit mm -hmm. show. You know, I, to my shame, voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. That's right. Your boy Paz was a vote cuck <laughs> years ago now. Years ago. But, uh, yeah, I think that it's... It was an easy bit of nonsense to gin up. It plays on the old Cold War tensions, and it's perfect for what they needed because they weren't ready to come to terms with the fact that their Queen Hillary actually was just a horrible shit show and had no business actually thinking she could win in the first place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think this is a good place to uh, wrap this up because we've been going almost an hour, which is perfect as far as I'm concerned. Um, this puts another idea in my head, which I think you will probably agree with, um, which is not to say that you've probably thought of it before I did, <laughs> hmm. um, but that the entire Cold War is uh, an American-Russian uh, cooperation um, in the form of a massive PSYOP. So, Basically, American and Russian, uh, well, let's say deep states or um, uh, government or, or establishments or whatever the fuck you want to call it, got together and like, were like, you know what? How about this for an idea? If we just make our population scared uh, of like your populations or of your countries, then they will be thinking constantly about the Russians well, or the Americans. Well, and it won't be focused for the power prices right. of both. Oh, you're uh, you're dropping off there, pause. Hello, pause. That's something you want to talk. Oh wait, I'm here. Ah, oh wait, you're still testing. Holy shit, man! Are you driving through a, through a tunnel or some shit? No, no, You're... it's just, uh, so I had to call in to this Zencaster call from my phone, right? Yes. Because my studio, quote-unquote, laptop is a shit show, and it updates itself oh, at the most inopportune times. It's a 2010 Windows laptop, so the thing's a hot mess. Oh, but, yeah. um, anyways, what I was saying is, if I can leave you with a little bit of a teaser, I don't think it's oh, as simple, necessarily as the U.S. and Russia consciously choosing to play off each other. Right. Have you heard of a gentleman by the name of Reinhard Galen? I have not. All right. So this gentleman 
was basically the head of the Nazi equivalent of the CIA. You know, right. he wasn't the he wasn't SS. He wasn't Nazi military. He was Nazi intelligence. Right. Now, after the end of World War II, he offered his intelligence network, his network of assets in various countries and stuff, to both Russia and the U.S. Now, without getting into too much detail here, I don't think the Cold War was so much a um, op from either Russia or the U.S. to enact state controls. I think it was a grift by this gentleman, Eric Galen, that just got out of control and spun itself up like a runaway train over the course of, what was it, 50, 60 years? So, you know, a little food for thought, something to read about, maybe a tease if you wanted to talk about that at some point. Reinhard Galen. I would absolutely love to talk about that, but <laughs> you're tickling me. Much more than you can imagine. Um, I think uh, that uh, we might have uh, a fourth uh, episode to our list of things that we need to record about. um, Because I want to hear about this. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Awesome. Well, um, Paz, thank you for coming on. This was a blast. I am really glad we did this. Um, and honestly, uh, I'm giddy with excitement for our next episode. Um, so please give me all of your plugs. Um, and then uh, we'll talk later. Okay. So the best place, the most consistent place to find me is on Twitter at DogmanRespector. I can be found making the rounds of the in-group podcast. Just search out the name Pause, or I can be found at my home show, The Gaslight Hour. Our release schedule is extremely tenuous and inconsistent. (laughs) Um, I promise there's things in the work to get it straightened out. And actually, Joe and I, and hopefully Ted, will be sitting down to talk about in the next week or two, creating a formal release schedule along with a couple of other things to thank people for putting up with our nonsense so yeah well improvements are coming but in the meantime find me on twitter awesome yeah uh i mean don't be too hard on yourself we don't just put up with your nonsense you guys put out great content um the only problem is that you don't put it out often enough absolutely Um, (laughs) i i couldn't agree with you more we do need to do more (laughs) I've got an itch to do this, you know. I've got a taste for the podcasting, personally. Oh yeah, I uh, I know very well because you uh, have a habit of appearing on all of the in-group podcasts, um, and somehow you never talk about anything that is not interesting. Um, so that's enough uh, me of me rubbing butter up your ass. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me, your uh, fantastic, amazing, gracious host of the No Rule Libertarian Show uh, on Twitter. Of course, under at uh, You can also find me on Patreon if you would like to give me money. Uh, mostly to make my audio sound better, but also to enrich me. Um, under, uh, I think, patreon.com slash Poll. 
but I'm not entirely sure of that, so just fucking hit the link in my show notes, and I'll take you right there. Uh, that's all I have. Do you have anything else to add, Buzz? Yeah, you know, if you allow me just one more moment, I want to make one more plug. I just spoke yeah. to Eric with at Anarchist Garage for his podcast. Um, you know, if you guys don't listen to him, he really is a great individual. He's one of the Padlock boys on Twitter. I'm assuming most people who listen to this show already follow him. But if you don't, you know, take a listen to the Anarchist Garage. He's a great dude. He's got a lot of really good insight. And uh, be on the lookout for my episode to drop with him at some point. Oh, yes. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll speak later. Yeah.